Hello and welcome to Live, Laugh, Eat, episode 14. And in today's episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And that is, instead of getting on one of the Girl Games coaches or another guest from the industry, I actually wanted to bring on one of my clients. So I'll let her introduce herself and talk through her experience in a minute. But I thought she'd be a great client to get on because I've worked with her through a range of stages in her own fitness journey, including fat loss, muscle gain, but also transitioning away from calorie counting and tracking towards a more intuitive style of eating, all done throughout perimenopause, I should add, as well. Um, Anyway, we will come on to all of that later. As I said, I was going to let her introduce herself, so I will stop rambling and bring her in. Please welcome to the podcast, Claire. Hey, Claire, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. So, (laughs) thank you for agreeing to come on. Um, I think it's just going to be really useful for other people to hear things from a client perspective instead of me and other coaches just rambling on. So I know I've said this to you before we kind of hit record on this podcast, but be as honest as possible. And even if that means telling me things that I could have done differently or better as a coach, you know, I'm not, you know, my style, I'm not here for, I don't need things sugar-coated and I don't need my ego strokes. So say (laughs) anything goes on this podcast. So I guess if we kind of start by you giving a bit of background about who you are, what you do, and then I guess kind of like a bit of a brief summary of your journey, and then we can start to delve into each stage in more detail. Sure, yeah. So um, I am uh, hurtling towards 50 years of age. Um, I have worked in the NHS for 24 years, so a long career in the NHS. Um, And I guess I have always been quite mindful about being healthy um and that journey has taken lots of twists and turns um and i came to you originally so i'd been training for quite a while but maybe a little bit aimlessly and i remember thinking and i don't know if you remember this i originally came to you because i thought i wanted to compete yeah, I remember. Way back in, I think it might have been late 2018, and I thought I wanted to compete. So, and bizarrely, I thought if I compete, that will really kind of hold me accountable because I'll I'll have a goal in mind. And I remember having a conversation with you over the phone, and we talked about it, and you were really realistic about it. And so we started on that journey. And I don't know if you also remember way back then, but I was coming off of two years of doing keto. Yeah. And um, keto and fasting a lot. And I definitely had issues with carbs, without a doubt. Um, and I was quite, I was, I was lean, but I was struggling to build muscle, unsurprisingly. And so we first embarked, you were saying to me, let's kind of get your calories up. And I look back at that journey and there's two things I take from it. One, I was... I think I was sensible enough to follow some competitors at the time and think, because I was I was forty uh, seven ish then, and think um, there was a quite a lot of disordered eating and disordered behaviours for in the people that I followed, and I kind of having been so wedded to keto. I was mindful of the fact that I could very easily fall into because I think that's a little bit of a disordered eating. Uh, pattern so I kind of followed some people and thought oh I don't know this feels as though it could go down a route of being not too great for me and we I also bottled it I I was really interested in your podcast about building because I bottled it when we were building and I remember thinking oh no I can't I was getting some weight gain and my clothes were feeling tight and I kind of bottled it but what I really appreciated from you is I think other competitor type coaches would have just maybe pushed me through it. But actually you were saying, do you really want to do this? Is this really your goal? And we decided that actually competing probably wasn't for me. I also came and watched you in Exeter, um, which was amazing. But I just thought, no, I just I don't have the, the confidence to stand up there. So, yeah, so that was that was my initial journey with you. 
Um, and then we got me to a good place with being back to eating a balanced diet um, and a, a really nice uh, kind of training pattern of four times a week, really enjoying my training. And then I had a few years where I was still training in between we had COVID. I had moved to Devon from Somerset and I probably had about six months of living my best life down here in Devon with cream teas and ice creams and Wonderful. fish and chips. <laughs> um, and so I rejoined with you and, and, and we can touch on that period and, and how I recognise looking back that through some of that time, even in 2018, I know that I was probably going through a bit of perimenopause. But um, yeah, we joined you in, I think it was May last year. Yeah, May 2022, because I was good with my training, but I would say that my eating had just got a little bit loose. So I wanted to do fat loss with you and we did a really successful fat loss and then a really long period of maintenance, um, which, and, and I think my second journey with, with you is where my focus has changed from aesthetics to health and well-being and ageing well. Yeah. And I, I was going to touch on that, actually, because I think it's, it's, it's probably no surprise, actually, that as I've moved away from aesthetics, that clients that return to me are clients that are kind of doing the same as well. Like still, like... I suppose when we say moved away from aesthetics, like you still care about how you look, same way yeah. that I still care about how we look. We both want to, you know, we lift weights with the goal of changing our body shape and looking better. But I guess it's that shift down in the priority list, isn't it, of aesthetics sitting alongside health now. Yeah. Um, what was it for you, Claire, that really made you go, actually the health side of things is as important as the aesthetics. I mean, I like, cause I've seen throughout the time coaching you a definite shift in you. I mean, when you first came to me, it was like trying to get you to eat carbs was a struggle. You were really kind of rigid with stuff. And towards the end, it was like, you know, we're now not tracking and maintaining things. What would you say was like, what made that shift in you? What caused that shift? Um, I think, I think, a reality, I guess, the reality of age, the reality of what was happening to me and was going to happen to me through perimenopause. And then probably the one of the pivotal moments of a, quite a, a big shift was um, about a year and a bit ago, I went to see a menopause GP specialist and just to have an hour with her and what was really nice was in the letter that she sent to me she was saying that my current way of eating and my and prioritizing um fats and carbs she she felt that I was I think she called it metabolically flexible so I could go between kind of carbs and fats and she was saying that my strength training was going to um be really beneficial for me in terms of bone density and, and muscle mass um and she was nigh on saying I think you're ma you're managing because I have I didn't have um lots and lots of symptoms I pretty I, I went to her almost to say is it given that you go on HRT does should everybody I was getting I was I was on lots of forums and things and listening to HRT and there's been a bit of a um a push I think around menopause at the minute with people like Davina McCall mm. where you can almost convince yourself that HRT is the only route and I just wanted to talk through and say is that the only route or are there other options and I guess what I was trying to this um GP specialist was also uh, very much into lifestyle factors and I guess what she was saying to me is um you can do a lot with diet and exercise to manage your symptoms. So I think at that point in December, that was quite a turning point for me. And by thinking to myself, oh, I could actually age better and potentially manage my um, perimenopausal symptoms with diet and exercise, what a bonus. Yes, you're always going to want to make sure that you look good. Um, but I guess I realised that sometimes you've got to be um realistic about your goals and and being honest I I always had a bit of a pancake bum and I was wanting to build a decent bum and I realized that the reality was genetics were not on my side and if I wanted to do that I was going to have to 
go into a really prolonged build period and and do lots of very kind of heavy intense glute focused work and actually I didn't want to I didn't want to do that um that was less important to me so um so yeah so I think that was what was what was one of the key things yeah and I think if we can just touch on that um actually I think it'd be really great because I work with a lot of clients going through the sort of perimenopausal period heading into menopause and I'm really pleased actually that it's coming out into the mainstream more with like I think even Holland and Barrett are running a campaign now aren't they around menopause and it really seems to have been brought into the mainstream I think Michelle Obama kicked it off with writing something in her book about something along the lines of we're doing a disservice to women by not talking about it so I think it's really good that it's coming to the mainstream because the amount of women that I work with that are experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. And again, for some people, these can start as young as mid thirties and just think that actually they're losing their mind or all of a sudden they're just (laughs) not, not recognizing themselves and they're having all of these weird shifts in things. Um, you know, for most people, it kicks in in sort of early 40s. But, you know, we are seeing it as, as young as mid 30s with some yeah. people. Um, and they don't realize that that's what it's as, as a result of. So I actually really wanted to talk about that on this podcast. But obviously, it's not something I've got firsthand experience of yet. I can only share what clients have shared with me and what I know based on education. So, Claire, would you mind sharing like firsthand experience? Like, what were the kind of first things that you noticed and what has been your experience so far of kind of symptoms and side effects and things that you've noticed change? I think initially it was definitely earlier on. So I would have been around the 45, 46 mark. And I think I can look back to 2018 where I did have a lot going on in my life, but my reaction to things and my anxiety levels were through the roof. And my response to things that were happening or were, um, I'm trying to think of the word, I I was overreacting and they were disproportionate, I guess. Um, And a really good example, this is how my brain was working at the time, probably an overshare, but I was going on an amazing. I was going on an amazing holiday um, with my partner, and it was there was a long haul flight. I'd drank some alcohol and clearly had probably given myself cystitis. Um, but I um, so I ended up having a kind of small amount of blood in my pee, and it coincided with the NHS doing one of these campaigns that was all over social media and Twitter that basically blood in your pee could be a sign of cancer. And I am not kidding, um, and my partner can attest to this, I arrived at our holiday destination and I was like a thing possessed. I basically convinced myself that I had, there was no other alternative <laughs> explanation. I had I had kidney cancer. I, you know, in my, my brain was going to having my kidney taken out. It was so such an overreaction. And there probably were things like jet lag and a long flight and et cetera that contributed to that. And I just had this thing that I need to go home. I need to go on the next plane home and I need to go to the doctors right away. It was so, it was so irrational. Um, and I remember, unfortunately, that holiday was marred by uh, clearly ha- this kind of, loop of anxiety it was really challenging and then I got home and I went to the GP and it unsurprisingly was um was about of cystitis but <laughs> I think it was a really good example of how um irrational um and and then that over the next few years I've had and it's it's not permanent it's bouts of where I become quite irrational and my anxiety levels go up and I can't seem to rationalise things. And then you do go through this phase of thinking, this is it, I'm going mad. And um, this is the start of some sort of anxiety disorder. And I and it, it came back with vengeance during COVID. And I now look back and think that's probably because I wasn't able to exercise. Um, because I, I have definitely realised that exercise has played in a key role in managing 
those mental health symptoms of it. Um, so during COVID, I had another episode, which I think was because I wasn't exercising. I was stuck at home and my, my brain was kind of going into overdrive. And then in, in kind of, I think you and I, um, when you were coaching me, we, we kind of identified and it was quite nice because you were able to share that, uh, mornings seem to be the worst. So on waking is when that kind of anxiety the cortisol kicks in and that's when you kind of get that anxiety and what I managed to do was team that up with saying actually then why not try and get to the gym for, before work I'd never really been there my ideal time to train would have been if I could pick a time probably mid be midday but I work so I thought actually let's try and start building a habit of going before work and that's been uh, really really helpful in moving um, and just getting going in the morning and having that purpose and, and you know, getting that anxiety out, I guess. And like I said, I don't want to say that it's a permanent state of anxiety. It's just, it, I think it's probably um, fluctuations with hormones. Yeah. Um, but what I think the other important thing to say is there is so much out there. Menopause is a definitely a buzz subject. But your journey is going to be different to somebody else's. So try not to get caught up in, um, oh, this is disastrous i know people that have sailed through menopause with no problems whatsoever so i think it's really important to say your journey will be different to somebody else's don't assume that you're going to get you know definitely get brain fog definitely get anxiety um but and and then more recently i've had a few um physical symptoms like the odd night sweat and hot sweat during the day but again i feel quite manageable so yeah, I think that's a, that's such a key point that you made about everybody's symptoms varying. I think it's definitely important to acknowledge them because some people might not realise. Like, I think when people hear menopause, like a lot of the time people just think of, you know, women with hot flashes and maybe a bit of insomnia, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's about it. But actually the mood swings are the biggest ones that I see among clients. But I do think it's really important not to jump to conclusions um, and know that everybody's experience of that is going to be different in the same way that every single female that's premenopausal and having a regular a regular monthly cycle symptoms are going to be different there yeah. um, because you know throughout a regular monthly cycle it's fluctuations in hormones that impact mood and the problem when it comes to perimenopause is that like it's the fluctuation in hormones, particularly estrogen starting to decline, but it's the irregularity in that that makes perimenopause so challenging to deal with. Like the little analogy I love on this one is that, you know, if you know when your neighbor does DIY and starts banging, it's annoying, right? But if they knock on the door first and tell you when they're going to be doing it, it's less annoying than if they start randomly doing it on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. when you're not expecting it, you know? Yeah. I think that's the big difference with perimenopause is that, you know, you kind of can chalk it down to your period if you have a regular cycle. But when that starts to go all out of whack, some people just don't have that self-awareness to know what's going on with them and that something's a bit off. And like what we did with, with you, Claire, I would say that actually when I do coach women going through that phase, it becomes obviously weight maintenance and people can have fat loss goals and, you know, wanting to build muscle and that kind of stuff. But I think... The key thing actually during coaching somebody through that phase is lifestyle management, a lot of it, because the hormonal changes that actually happen during the menopause, a lot of people think you hit menopause and gain weight. It's not actually the hormonal change in itself that causes the weight gain. Like the decline in estrogen can actually mean that you're more likely to store abdominal fat. That does change your body fat distribution, but it doesn't actually impact your energy balance. The thing that tends to impact people's energy balance actually are those mood fluctuations and things like if you are having trouble sleeping, well, that's going to have a knock-on impact on your appetite the next day. Your mood's going to have an impact on your appetite. It's going to have an impact on, you know, if you're suffering with a bit of depression, that could affect your desire to eat, that could affect your desire to go and train. And all of these things in themselves are what changes your body composition as opposed to the actual hormonal changes themselves. And I, so I think it's so important to have that self-awareness. And actually, if you are working with a coach throughout this phase, 
that you do put some things in place. And, you know, like, like we said with you, Claire, when you disclosed to me, I'm feeling a bit of anxiety in the mornings through my own experiences with anxiety. And actually I can relate somewhat in that I actually went through a hormonal contraceptive change a few years ago that really didn't agree with me. And, you know, that, that really opened my eyes actually to after being on the same contraception for about 10 years, I changed it. And I'll be honest, I just lost my shit. Like, yeah. I was all over the place. Well, that's <laughs> like, another thing, isn't it? Con- so there, there's there's um, there's three things um, that can be quite pivotal in, in how you're feeling. Um, one's your just normal cycle. Two is the perimenopause. But I think that's the other thing. Contraception can really mess with your... Um, your cycle and then how you're feeling um and going back to your point about I think too many women feel oh well I'm hitting menopause so that's it I'm just gonna get I'm gonna become overweight it's a given and almost accept it and I I think there's something about that's another reason that motivates me I don't accept that I don't accept that that's gonna happen I know that it maybe takes a little bit more work um, but you, I, I, I also think um, working with a coach, I think tracking your macros, you may find that you can, you know, somebody may be a bit more sensitive to carbs than they are fats, you know, and that gives you that opportunity to play around with those things. Fiber is another, that, all those things are so important in helping you, I think, as well as um, tracking because obviously when when you when you're coached you track things and you take notes and the other thing that I tend to do is I've always tracked my periods on an app because I think it's I don't Mm. I don't understand how people don't because you know it's really useful like you might get mid-cycle pain but you think oh yeah it's always on day 12 um and there's another app that you can use i think it's called balance that you can track menopause perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms i just track them on the same period app um and those are quite useful as well because i've realized that if i tend to get hot flushes because i still have my period it will definitely tend to be around my period that i get those those hot sweats you can think about i know that you and i talked about things like caffeine and the role that caffeine can play in mood and, um, you know, anxiety levels and things. So I think if nothing else, a very minimum track it yourself, but working with a coach, thinking if you're miserable and you think, oh, you know, I'm just accepting that I'm heading into menopause or maybe I'm struggling with my hormones uh, because of contraception, um, have a period of really looking at what you're doing, mm. um, eating, exercise, etc. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, you know, obviously, I'm going to be slightly biased between have a coach, I'm going to think, (laughs) leave in the product I sell, right. But I actually think through that time period, it can be so, so useful to, and Claire will know, like the way I work is that we we do, I geek out on data, we collect that data, you know, like we, we can spot your patterns and your trends. And they can be so useful because when we spot a pattern or a trend, we can offer up a solution. Or even if we can't offer up a solution, we can go, that's just your pattern. You're not losing yeah, your it. You're not going mad. Um, you know, and like I said, it, it adds that little bit of um, accountability, I guess, in the sense of making sure that you are doing those basic things that actually can make such a difference. Like, you know, there's, there's nothing fancy you need to do throughout the menopausal period, but, you know, things like protein as we get older, like the body's ability to digest and absorb and utilize it declines. So it means yeah. that you actually need to eat a bit more of it. So, you know, let's keep you accountable to that. Actually, do you know what, if your mood's all over the place or, you know, things aren't regular, then just things like making sure you're putting balanced meals together to keep those blood sugar levels stable, again, will make you feel so much better. It will help you feel energized, especially if, again, sleep's all over the place. Sleep and stress management techniques, again, accountability to maybe lowering alcohol a little bit, maybe keeping caffeine a little bit lower. doesn't have to be like a really intense fat loss program but actually just some basic lifestyle principles and you know I'll set like little lifestyle targets won't I like even the weeks I wasn't setting macros it's like right can you make sure you get in 25 grams of protein and at least one serving of fruit and veg at each meal and 
you know, our tick boxes, two litres of water each day, really, really simple things that actually, unless people are logging them, they don't do consistently necessarily. So the answer might not be, the answer might be HRT. It could be life-changing, but the answer actually could be managing those symptoms through some self-care as, at home as well. Um, I think the other thing is that, uh, that when it comes to like training through that period, the other thing to factor in is it will take you longer to recover from training sessions as you get yeah. older. So again, it's like you need somebody with experience of working with people for a variety of ages. Like I'll be honest, in my early coaching years, if I program, you know, in my early 20s, I probably put, I had clients in their late 40s, 50s, and I their workouts were probably too intense for them yeah that's not to say I don't train people hard now you know me I'll push you in training but again I, I do think if you're in your early 20s and you've not got specific qualifications in that because obviously I just started out I hadn't gone on I hadn't had experience I hadn't gone on to learn more and educate myself more as I have now but you know it's all these things that need to be factored in so if you are still trying to do the same training program that you were trying to do when you were 30 and giving yourself a hard time that you can't do it was well, because you're not respecting your body where it's at right now. So sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent then, Claire, but I do think... No, it I does... I, the other thing, though, I think too many women underestimate the value of strength training. I know... I, do, I don't think I have any friends or colleagues who strength train that I know of. Um, and I think it's... I think it's still saying that though, I go to a gym and it's kind of a, a council run gym and there are lots and lots of women in there. Um, but I still feel that there's some myths around that people are going to get bulky or, you know, and, and I just wish people realized how hard it is to gain muscle. It is so hard. I dream of gaining muscle and getting bulky and it's just not, it just doesn't happen. So I think that I, I wish there was more promotion of strength training because everybody talks about exercise and I think people default to cardio. And I, the thing I have changed my mind about is cardio. I used, I probably got sucked into the bodybuilding world that cardio halts your gains effectively. I know. <laughs> yeah, it, and that you only use it for fat loss. And I have recently realised that I really do need to be you know if I want to be fit into old age I need my heart and my lungs to keep up it's no good being strong as hell and having you know lungs and a heart that can't keep up and and the other thing that you realize is that if you build your cardiovascular capability that supports your weight training um so I just wish there was more kind of education out there for women because anybody that's listening who's in their 20s or 30s you will not want to be you aging is not on the agenda you just don't think about it but I wish I knew then what I knew now because the sooner you start and you, the sooner you build this in and have these habits um the the more beneficial it's going to be for you going into old age um starting in your 20s and 30s to to do some cardio and some weight training and to get on top of your nutrition and protein what you were saying again I'm going off on a bit of a tangent but yeah um, under eating protein another thing that I, I talk to friends family etc and and they chronically under eat protein mm. and it's so important um but a macro you know as you go into aging so yeah, yeah. and that, that's the thing like the sort of recommended daily allowance from like the NHS guideline on it is 0.8 grams per kilogram of your body weight per day However, I would actually say if you are, you know, conscious of muscle mass declining as you get older, for most people, I set that somewhere between 1.2 grams to 2 grams per kilo of body weight per day is actually a good starting point. So yeah, that's really low, isn't it? Those NHS recommendations. I didn't yeah. realize you were that low. Yeah, it is very low. Generally speaking, like I would say if you're not tracking your food intake, I would track it and have a look at how much protein. And I actually mean protein is a macronutrient, by the way, for anybody that's listening to this and hasn't done any kind of calorie counting or anything. Like I don't, when I talk about 
like grams of protein. I was going to say, if you're eating less than 100 grams per day, start there. But I mean 100 grams of the macronutrient protein, not like 100 grams of chicken breast or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, like, you know, a chicken breast, you're going to be looking at like 30 to 35 grams of protein, for example. Um, so yeah, it, because it is really important and a lot of people are really under eating it. I think we're seeing more of a push on it now. And I think, you know, a lot of companies have got onto the marketing bandwagon of protein oh, God, now, yeah. you know, like protein and, and, and I love it when they sell stuff saying it's got protein and you're like, yeah, it's yogurt. Um, it's going to have protein. Yeah. Like the added protein and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually did a post, I think, on this. Like, have a look at the label. Because, like, for example, protein Weetabix versus normal Weetabix, like, when they actually label the protein Weetabix on the box, for a start, they actually include the milk in the serving to make it look like it's got more protein. I think it's got something ridiculous, like, a gram more of protein but they charge you a quid more for the box it's it's stupid like you know have your Weetabix with a bloody protein shake or some Greek yogurt if you want to boost the protein of it like actually you know take the time to learn what foods are high in protein don't bother wasting your money on expensive things that say with added protein you know and it's even things like nuts like they do contain protein but they're a fat they're not really a source of protein so again it's worth learning about this stuff in in google google will be your best friend when it comes to stuff like that or if you get a coach they can teach you all of this kind of stuff um so yeah sorry i went again off on a bit of a- no i think i think what you were saying about protein I've, I've got a funny feeling that if you go on to if you go on to some good sources like lane norton somebody i follow and there's a couple of others where if you get a good source, they will give you the kind of recommended protein and, and it increases with age. So you yeah. should be eating more protein as, as you get older. Um, and I think people assume that they're not going to be able to get enough protein in. And that's where even just kind of following people like yourself and others on Instagram, there are so many hacks to getting more protein into your diet it's it's the most misunderstood of the macros i think um but i mean talking about macros i think the other thing that you helped me with is kind of owning stuff so if you're in the week before your period up your carbs just own it don't don't go into denial just accept the fact that for whatever and and there is evidence to, to say why we crave carbs at that time but manipulate stuff. Say this week I'm going to up my carbs, and I know it will feel better. Rather than trying to keep them low or trying to get, and, and then ending up, you know, eating a large family size pack of yeah. chocolate or something. Yeah, that's the thing. I think like we we spoke about the kind of awareness during uh, perimenopause, but actually I would say like awareness of your own cycle and patterns pre that is super useful because then it means that when you get to that phase you know what's irregular but if you don't know what's regular how can you know what's irregular i guess yeah, yeah. and people, people just aren't very kind to themselves um around their cycle so you get the kind of diehard people but kind of be kind to yourself and and if you know that for the first two weeks of your cycle you have got bags of energy really really go for your PB, you know, you're you're pushing your weights or doing more cardio. And if you feel crap in the week of your period, then, and a really good example of that is for me today, I was going to go to a spin class this morning and I woke up, I'd had a rubbish night's sleep. It's the time of the month. And I thought, okay, I don't, I don't feel up to doing spin, but do something, keep that habit. So I still got up, I drove to the gym and I took the dog and I got a coffee and I did 5,000 steps. So yeah. it, it's kind of just saying um, it's okay not to constantly be, you know, because there's a part of my brain that will say, oh, you're a, you know, come on, push through it. And there are times to do that, but there are also times to say, no, actually, today's a day that I need to be a bit kinder to myself, but maybe swap it out for something. I knew that I would really enjoy a walk with the dog uh, and the incentive was going in and getting a coffee while I I walked, so. 
Yeah, I think that's it. It's always finding that balance with like being kind to yourself and self-care because self-care isn't all bubble baths and face masks. Self-care is sometimes <laughs> saying, forcing yourself to do the shit that you don't really want to do in the moment, knowing that you're going to feel better for doing it later on, you know, like think of a little kid that don't want to brush their teeth or eat vegetables. Like you make them do that, right? Because it's good for them. But I think if you're ever in doubt, and I might have even said this uh, on one of the other podcasts, so apologies if I'm like an old lady repeating herself, but I think the question to ask yourself if you're ever unsure is, okay, if this was somebody else's body, somebody I cared about's body, what action would I take right now? Would I rest or would I get them to do the thing knowing that they're going to feel better for it afterwards? Yeah, And I think that can be such a useful question to show like compassion to yourself. Yeah. But again, I think if you get to know yourself a bit better, it's a lot easier to show yourself that compassion yeah. because yeah. like, you know, I, I'd say I know myself pretty well and I know now when I'm just being a bit lazy versus yes. well, actually this is when, when you need to back off a little bit. Um, but yeah, again, I think, you know, actually, like you said touching back on kind of eating a bit more before your period I just wanted to touch on that one usually that's during the ovulation phase there's actually a slight increase in your metabolic rate during that time in case anybody's interested so basically it's like the the start of the second half of your period so your period starts your monthly cycle starts from day one of your period um so when you kind of get into the second half of things, I usually, I always joke that your period is like, for most people, the, the monthly cycle you tend to get, and a lot of my clients joke about this, you get two good weeks of the month, right? Those people, people often slag off estrogen, but estrogen is the hormone that, you know, makes you feel happy. It reduces appetite, you know, like the glory weeks, I call them. Yeah. So after the period's done, you've actually finished it and you stop feeling all gross. You have this week where you just feel amazing. Like your skin yeah. goes a bit better. Your mood's really good, right? I always say I'm like a Disney princess in those those first two weeks. And then I turn into the troll that lives under the bridge for the second two, yeah. two weeks. Yeah, people, month, I think right? people underestimate um, ovulation, if I'm honest. I don't, I think it's one of those things that it's only again, probably in the last five to 10 years from tracking things a bit more, I acknowledge that actually physically, I probably am mood wise, I sometimes feel worse mid cycle than I do. Um, everybody thinks you feel at your worst just before your period. But I would say ovulation. And the other thing is, um, we always think that we gain weight just before our period, but uh, ovulation is the time yeah. for me so if anybody gets hung up on the scales make sure you're clocking when you're ovulating and looking at scales because it for me it's kind of a kilo 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 and a half sometimes yeah so basically what happens during ovulation is is pretty much the way I like to describe it right is that you've had your period so obviously we know your body's disregarded an egg right and then estrogen levels start to increase because we've got to rebuild the lining to to get the egg out there right and I always like to think of estrogen like a happy little man like spraying fertilizer around the, the field <laughs> getting it all ready right and then in the second phase like and this is when estrogen has peaked and what happens is it starts to decline and what then starts to increase is another hormone called progesterone and progesterone is the one that causes water retention hunger cravings tiredness so what you essentially get is, you know, that, and that's why your metabolic, so as your body starts to produce this egg in ovulation, that's why your metabolic rate increases slightly. For most females, it's about an extra 200 calories a day that they'll need, and it's only for a few days. Um, but that's why it's worth increasing your food. Um, but basically, at that point, you know, the egg's chucked out there, nobody comes to get it. So what I like to refer to progesterone as the horrible symptoms coming in is think of someone pushing that happy man off the field to <laughs> like piss off, you know what I mean? Like really horrible. And that's basically what happens during your period and your hormones, you know? So, and then once that kind of, you know, you have your period and it's done, the whole thing kind of starts again. But yeah, I think that's it. People expect it just before your period. And you might notice, like I notice a few days before I get my period, I get really cranky. Like I get yeah. really like tolerance, tolerance levels. I mean, yeah. my partner, if he does decide to listen to this, um, will definitely know that my my tolerance level for anything and my patience 
is paper thin. Yeah. So, um, whereas I would say in ovulation, it's more of a low mood, um, a kind of low mood, tired, maybe that's more likely when the anxiety will come in. But just before my period, it's more likely to be crying at ridiculous things. So, you know, I, I can't watch an advert about a dog being mistreated without you know pulling I, my eyes out <laughs> I once cried because I was in I mean I was in bikini prep and I did also like my period was looming I once cried at one of those sponsor a donkey adverts <laughs> oh god, oh god. Any, anything anything can set me off I mean unfortunately I've cried at some really embarrassing things just before my period and that and it's a definitely more of an emotional feeling isn't it and um tolerance and emotion and then ovulation is that kind of slightly low slightly sluggish tired feeling but um it's really interesting what you were saying about estrogen and progesterone because obviously I've taught I've got friends who have started HRT and I've read a lot about uh, about HRT and um if you have got a uterus if you take uh, HRT you have to take progesterone um because otherwise the lining of your uterus gets too thick and that could put you at risk of things like um, uh, endometrial cancer so if you take HRT and you have uh, not had a hysterectomy you have to take progesterone but you take it cyclically so I can't say that very well um, and you take it you start taking it I think it's two weeks before your period would be so if you've got a period you still take it two weeks before you start your period if you haven't it will give you a period but interestingly everybody I've spoken to and all the stuff that I've read it's the progesterone that makes you feel like shit. Yeah. It's the pro- progesterone that people struggle with. Um, if they say they're struggling with HRT, that's the hormone that's making them have headaches, migraines, feeling cranky. Uh, and I think also that's why the pill can make people feel a bit, because I think yeah. that's proge- progesterone, yeah. isn't it? So that's it. You can get progesterone-only pills. Like I'm on one now, actually. Um you know, and they won't necessarily give everyone bad side effects and everything, no, but it is really tapping into what works with you and your natural levels. I think that's a really good point to touch on, though, is that if you are on some kind of hormonal contraception, aka you take a pill, it will. It, some of this stuff in the cycle that I'm speaking about, you might not experience so much as if you're tuned into your natural kind of cycle. And don't forget as well, like if you're taking a pill where um you have a break in that pill packet and then you get a period you get bleed during that week you have a break that's not actually a real period no the other thing as well to be really mindful of because I've coached ex-competitors before actually and we've had blood you know they've come to me from another coach they thought they were okay because they're having a period then we've got blood work done and they're not okay hormonally but it's because the pills creating this sort of synthetic period every month so it's just just to be mindful of that, if you didn't know that, the bleed you get on the pill when you t- have that break for seven days of taking it, um, that's usually a combined pill. That's not a real period. So I just actually, that's quite a good point to just throw out yeah. in the podcast in case anyone's listening to it. But I think, again, it's just, it is being aware of, of you and what works for you. And, you know, like with some clients, we might, during the kind of what what ovulation phase or troll week, as I like to call it, <sighs> And not everyone has troll week, but, you know, you might do something like, okay, food's going to be up during this week. Don't really feel like lifting during this week. So we're just going to go into the gym and kick each day off with a 30 minute cardio session just to boost mood. Yeah. You know, and then we'll put food up for a little bit. We'll time that with your deload with training. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just find out. Whereas other people, you might not need a deload. So every month or some people might prefer to do that when they're actually on their period because they don't want to be doing, you know, like heavy squats and things like that when they've got the period. So, again, going looping it back to what we were saying before about that kind of being nice to yourself. I think if you do start to understand your body and like, oh, okay, I feel a bit cranky because, you know, it doesn't excuse your behavior. It doesn't mean you can be an asshole to everyone. It's up to you to take responsibility for yourself and manage it. But it also means that if you can understand why you're being an asshole, you can be a bit nicer to yourself about it. Yeah, honestly, I think that there's another thing that I've learned is going back, you were saying, you know, when you're just saying, I can't be bothered versus I don't feel up to it and I think that's another thing whereas I might have been well I I train four times a week that's it that's what I do 
or it may be I do three lots of cardio and three lots of training. And I think I definitely now am way more flexible with what I do. And I've given myself more options of what I can do. But I read um, Atomic Habits. I think, is it James Clear? And that was really useful for me. I think he talks about um, building habits, but then then if you don't do something two days in a row, you kind of lose the habit. Um, And that's where, for me, it's just about going and doing something. So on the days, if I have a day where I feel really crap and I don't really want to go to the gym, I give myself permission to go and do what I want to do. So I might not want to go in and do my program. I might go in and just do line leg curl and, you know, quad extension or something, you know, things that I like. And, and I just give my permit, myself permission. Or sometimes I go into the gym, I'm halfway through my workout. I'm like, this is just awful. I feel really awful and it's I'm just not feeling it. And then it's okay to say, actually, today's just not a good day. As long as you're not doing that week in, week out, as long as it's sometimes... But I think not enough people are flexible in what they do. They are so rigid. And Mm. then they almost build in an added layer of mental stress by saying, I've not stuck to my plan this week. Um, And I think, Laura, working with you, it's really interesting how you you almost need somebody else to give you that permission to help you moving forward. It's even like, I I don't know if you remember, I did fat loss and then I did maintenance. In the beginning of this year, I thought I wanted to do... Um, fat loss again and I thought I should be a certain weight and I was a bit wedded to that weight not not really thinking about the fact that over the last five years I've probably built muscle and I'm a bit sitting a bit heavier and do you remember it was so pivotal it's probably more useful than any other bit of coaching and we had a whole week of you kind of doing tough love but saying to me okay, do you really want to do this? And you told me to go away and write down why I was doing it. Why did I want to lose weight? And actually, was I happy with the way I looked? Really, was I quite happy with the way I looked? And was I confident, et cetera? And we'd been the the fat loss. Yeah. Uh, I I would have struggled to do that without a coach. Mm. I probably would have just carried on miserably. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I I can definitely remember that because... The thing was, you were thinking at that point in time, and I've seen this before, that you had low motivation and that you were just struggling a bit to stick to your diet. And sometimes I see it with people where we get to a point where you're happy with your body. You know, you don't, you're not in a crazy rush to change it. Your values have shifted. So maybe it's not so high on the priority list now. And quite frankly, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. The amount, yeah. you know, because you, you look great. You'd already built some muscle. You're already sitting and maintaining all of the weight that you've lost quite nicely. And now we were about to dip into that second phase of dieting to take you down to low levels of body fat, where, you know, we're talking going from a healthy body weight to a lean body, like a very yeah. lean body composition, you know, so we're not talking going from overweight to normal weight or anything like that. No, my BMI was normal. Yeah. Remember I was, I'd got a bit obsessed with being a lower BMI, being at the lower end of my BMI. And actually your body will sometimes really fight you because it's <laughs> it's evolution. It's saying, I'm okay. Yeah. I, you know, I'm at a BMI. This is the crazy thing, right? And people do get it in their heads. And I, it's something I had to call myself out on because I'm at the very high end of my BMI but my body fat levels are quite low. It's because I've got muscle mass, you know, and sometimes people are, you can see it when people are overweight, right? And like people slag off BMI. I still think it's a good gauge, but it's a range for a reason. And I think sometimes women get it so in their heads that they have to be smaller, smaller, smaller all the time, even on the BMI scale. Why? It's a range. You're within, it's green, that whole entire range. And it's a range for a reason. We have different size bones. We have different weight bones. We all have, it factors in that people can have a bit of muscle, you know, like people are athletic, um, you know, and it's just really interesting because I've seen it before sometimes with BMI that people really feel like they've got to be at the like oh why is less more you know it's such a weird thing isn't it that we we seem to have it programmed in our heads that less is more all of the time but to loop back to what you were saying and this is something that I've seen where we get to this point where the juice isn't worth the squeeze so what I asked you to go away and do and it was a, a bit of like I was like excuse me giving you a weird bit of homework here Claire but go away and write down all of the reasons that you want less body fat than you've got now 
And yeah. I can remember that list. And actually, when you came back having done that list and that little piece of homework, for want of a better way of putting it, and it was a great list, um, you know, reasons for and against, we actually realized, do you know what, actually, I'm I'm not sure why I want to be leaner. No. Like, I'm not I sure. What caught actually- up on a number. I got caught up on the fact that, oh, I should be, if I'm at the low, I always felt like I needed some sort of buffer. Um, and then I realized that there actually the skill would be in in maintaining where I was. And actually, that was going to be much easier to do at a weight that my body was kind of that set weight. They talk about set weight. And I think I have a, a bit of a set weight now. Um, and if I really push to go below it, my body fights against that. Mm. And it can be a miserable loop. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, because you know, a lot of the women that I work with would describe themselves as all or nothing dieters, spending most of their lives flitting on and off of diets. So dieting is almost like the default setting. So it yeah. always get in your head, like you said, that you need this buffer for when you regain the weight. And it was like the reality of, well, actually, you've been living at this body weight quite half of, happily, comfortably. Yes, it, it's, it's not effortless. Like you're still going to the gym. You're still, you know, eating well. But, you know, you've been here for quite some time now, Claire. Like, you're not yeah. going to regain that weight. And it was almost, okay. it's almost like drilling. And I see this a lot. Like, I have to drill that into people's heads. And it's so funny because the amount of women that come to me thinking they want to do bikini preps or this or that or the other, and I get them to a place where they're at a happy, healthy body weight and they're maintaining that while still having a nice balance with life, yeah. that just go, actually, I don't want to diet anymore, <laughs> Laura. And I love that. You know, that's not well actually I might say that's not my goal but you know what I really I think what a great spot to be that you can actually and that I'm not anti-diet I'm all for people losing weight but I think you know what you your life's purpose is not to be on a diet like you want to get to that point where you're like you know you might not have your dream body your absolute dream body goals at that point but can you go do you know what when I get ready for a, a night out or to you know go somewhere do I feel like I look nice in my clothes? Yes. Do I feel confident in the gym? Yes. Like, could I look better? Yeah, probably. But is it worth it? Not really. Am I happy yeah. with what I'm eating? Yes. Do I feel good each day? Yes. Why do you want to lose weight? If you're at that point, you've got all of those things, genuinely ask yourself that question. And if you've got a legit reason, like, I just want to see what I look like super shredded or, you know, people do have reasons for it. That's fine. But I think sometimes it, people just carry on dieting because it's it's what they know. It's what they've always done. Um, it's instilled into us. And I even cause, was thinking, oh, God, I'm hitting 50 next year. I was slightly terrified and then thought, oh, God, I must maybe I should do a um, almost uh, in denial, maybe in thinking, oh, I'll do maybe I'll do a photo shoot on my 50th. And then I thought really what is the point of that because that's going to be a really tough place to get to what to say I've got some photos to say this is what I look like at 50 because the reality is I'm aging and so I'm not always going to look like that and I think some people have a real issue when they've done competing or um photo shoot that they did look like that once and they can't maintain it and 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 that makes them unhappy. And so definitely what I've been striving towards is to be healthy at 50 and be on a journey where I've got some really good habits um, ingrained around how I eat, uh, the 80-20 or what was it? Yeah, 80-20 kind of balance because Laura introduced me to cinnamon buns. <laughs> I have to have cinnamon bun in my Every, life but everyone it, is those, um, it is that kind of 80 20 and thinking about going into life I, I would urge people to sit down and and um it sounds a bit profound but what's important to you um is it just the way you look I would argue that most people if they sat down it would be time with family that usually involves some form of food I know that with my family you know summer barbecues and stuff are a theme for us so before people embark on these things, particularly if they're a little bit older, I think it's important to really, you know, and I think you do that at the beginning of your coaching mm. before we go into a fat loss or whatever. I, I, I seem to remember that we go through that thing of working out actually what we really want and what's important to us because you do have to sacrifice a lot to look a certain way. Um, and also if you're constantly dieting, that could be having an effect if you're slightly older on things like your bone density, your muscle mass, etc. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think 
really for me as a coach really delving into what people value and there's probably a lot of my clients that don't even realize I do this because it's not like you know it's just me getting to know you and sussing stuff out and getting a feel for people and you know even before I moved into the fitness industry my background was actually in management and coaching and training and that's where I built a lot of the skills that I kind of use today and got a knack for people you know and I, I can remember, like, I got a management job at a very young age. I was quite in quite a responsible. I used to think to myself all the time, I am so not grown up enough to be sat in this meeting. Yeah, the imposter syndrome. I think yeah. I've really put me in charge of this. Yeah, but the reason was is that I was, like, back then, I just found it really easy to work out what people wanted and then help them, like, move towards an end goal point, you know? And I think one of the things, especially when it comes to to weight loss, because weight is such an emotive subject, is it really makes me sad when I see women thinking that they're shit at dieting or they can't do this or they can't stick to that or they used to be able to do the diet thing, especially like a lot of the... You see it a lot in ex-competitors, actually. I mean, it can be valid for anyone, but, you know, they suddenly think, why can't I do the things like I used to? And it's because their values have shifted and they haven't realised. And it's like you know, if you don't really, if there are things you value above that weight loss, even if you get the weight loss, it's not going to feel the way you think it will. Like you might have valued weight loss when you were a competitor or when you were younger or when you were ever. But if you have got things that you value more than that now, you need to factor that in as as well. Does that make sense? So yeah, like, it does. You know. I think it's just really important for, for people to really understand the why behind what they're doing and to try and move away from quick fixes. And and I think that um, I would urge people if they're going into coaching, stick with it. Don't go, don't go and do it for these, for the, for a short term fix. Don't get me wrong. I would probably, if I wanted to do a fat loss, I would now be able to come and maybe join your eight week fat loss for accountability. But I know I've got the tools, but really sit down and work out what's important to you and think long term think about your long term goals not your kind of short term yeah getting you know lean for a holiday for some people um is it maybe a short term goal um but do you know really sit down and think about your kind of longer term health and what your your behaviors currently how they're impacting on maybe your health in the longer term yeah i sound really old no but i think i think it's really really important and i say it all of the time like what i do with people is i help them set habits and foundations and make these real solid lifestyle changes like if somebody comes to me and says can you do me a six-week meal plan i'm like no sorry i'm not the coach for you yeah that doesn't mean we can't do short-term blasts like you know if, if a client i've worked with before even a new client says I want to lose weight for this holiday I've got in eight weeks. Great. Okay, let's do it. I'll push you as hard as you want to be pushed during those eight weeks. But my point with that is, is that the fundamental core principles at the heart of what we do are the same. Whatever phase that you're in, they're the same. And like a thermostat, we just dial it up or dial it down as needs to be done. There's no fads. It's not like suddenly we do this crazy magic thing and then we don't, you know, we're miles off. It is just a a lifestyle thing which might look slightly different depending which phase of that that you're in. Um, I guess, Claire, I wanted what I wanted to kind of, because we're touching nearly an hour already. God, this one's yeah. fun. I, I guess to kind of finish off, I think what would be quite nice is how would you describe the, you know, we talked about things getting more flexible for you. I guess... From when you very first contacted me for coaching versus what we ended up doing in the end, what's the biggest difference between the version of Claire at the start and now? And how did coaching differ from what you expected to get when you signed up versus what you actually got? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think the Claire that came to you in 2018 was all or nothing, um, was probably reading too much and thinking that everything had to be an extreme was struggling to find balance um probably had fallen into the you know fallen foul of the good food bad food and it was it was definitely impacting on my ability to enjoy life and I think that through my coaching journey and it's been a, a journey of two halves when I was first with you it probably transitioned me 
to um, uh, reintroduce carbs and, pro- and funny enough, protein, because if you do things like keto, um, your protein tends to drop off. And then the second part of my journey was a transition of aesthetics through to um, health and well-being and using exercise, training and nutrition, but in a slightly different way um, and making it work for me, um, you, you know, kind of using those tools and and the data that I gathered with you, because I was with you for a whole year and that was really beneficial because I've done fat loss, but more importantly, maintenance with you and just really understanding how my body works has given me the confidence. I've been on, I've had a week off this week and I've very loosely tracked, but I felt confident to do that. And I have developed intuitive eating. So I can tot up in my head roughly in a day, kind of what I'm eating, but also giving my permission, uh, giving myself permission. So I do still track and I know that that's a bit controversial because some people think it's obsessive, but I always feel like people, if you don't track your finances, you're probably going to go overdrawn. You know what? <laughs> it's, it's this, I think tracking gets a bit of a bad rap. Like you don't actually, you could track every day for the rest of your life if you wanted to. And I wouldn't say it's obsessive. I think the thing that makes it obsessive is your relationship to it and how that makes you feel. Like are yeah. you in control of it or is it controlling you? Like if you can dip in and out of calorie counting and you know, like you're not going to lose your shit if you can't track for a day. That, no. that's a completely different thing it's the same thing like I actually you know I check my online banking a couple of times a week because I like yeah. to know where my money's at and how things are looking doesn't cause me any stress or aggro if anything it just gives me reassurance that I'm in the right ballpark and it's the same with my nutrition you know if yeah. I actually if I never look at my bank account that would stress me out yeah, you know? yeah, I, I agree. Oh, I'm I think in an unhealthy phase where like ignorance is bliss. And I think it's exactly yeah. the same with your diet. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think tracking is a skill. And if you can develop that skill, it will serve you well through life in terms of, you know, even if you just track, try and track your protein. And this week, work, the things that I've learned from you are, um, I, I know that I, I know my maintenance is around the 2000 calorie mark. And I know that, so this week I'm on, I'm have a week off. So I upped it to roughly an extra hundred calories a day, but I knew on some days I'd be going out, eating out, having a cinnamon bun, having a croissant or, you know, meal out somewhere. But on other days I didn't have much planned and I knew that I could pull it back on those days. So having that kind of weekly budget, but I did consciously up it for this week and owned it. And then next week I'm back to a routine. And the other thing that you have always said to me is, you know, when you go back to eating how you normally eat, your kind of body will come back in line with that. And next week I might just sit a little bit below what would be my maintenance um, and just get myself back into those daily habits of, you know, my protein throughout the day. So I think that tracking gets a really, really bad reputation. And if people, if more people could master it, they would give themselves the best freedom when it came to food. I think that's it. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? But actually, some people think that, um, you know, food freedom lies in never tracking or whatever. And I would actually argue that there's a big difference as well between meticulous, like some coaches make tracking stressful because they don't show their clients the real flexibility in it and how to really use it as a tool to help you and give you that freedom because that is what it gives you, freedom, because you can make the decision to own it. And I think if you understand how it really works, like for me, and this is coming from somebody that at a young age had an eating disorder fueled by a fear of weight gain, I do not fear weight gain now. Why? Because I know, like, if I gain a bit of weight, so what? So, you know what you were saying about, like, your week off? That might be a month. Like, for me, last month was my birthday month. I had a holiday. I had so many meals out. But I knew I was going to be in a surplus for pretty much that whole month. And I knew I was going to gain a bit of weight. But instead of freaking out about it, oh, well, I'm going to enjoy myself. It's not a loss of control, weight gain. It's just going, it is what it is. In the same way that if I have a month that's more expensive, I don't freak out about it. I just go, okay, that means that, you know, I might have to penny pinch a bit more next month or not buy myself so many things or, you know, stop stop drinking coffee every day, for example. But it's exactly the same principle. You can do that with your nutrition as well. And I do think that, you know, if you, the real food freedom 
is found in understanding that food is wonderful and it's fuel, like, but it also does have a calorie value and it does matter and it does have nutrient value. It doesn't have any moral understanding. Like, don't fear looking at calories. It's for me, it's like, if I can get somebody to a point where they just see those calories as units of energy and, and neutral, does that make sense? I think it, yeah, no, it can honestly, I think, your it, like I say, if, if nothing else, I think working with a, a good, and I would, I would put you as a lifestyle coach and, and, a, and it's a, and coaching is about holding a mirror up to somebody, isn't it? And that's, and, and it, you've never told me what to do. You've always guided me and I've found the answers because the funny thing is our, our check-ins, you, I would blurb out some stuff and you'd almost say, well, you've kind of come up with the answers yourself, <laughs> but that's what coaching is. It's not telling people what to do. And I think there's too many coaches out there that aren't coaches. They just tell people what to do and they don't teach them anything. And I, I honestly, I feel so liberated because I've got this freedom where I can think, yeah, that massive almond croissant is mine because, and it will make me happy. I think you can also just do that. Am I eating it? Because it will genuinely make me happy and being a bit mindful about what you're eating. But the other thing that you really drummed into me is, you know, birthdays, Christmas, a family occasion, you can't get that back. Mm. their memories you can't get those things back and when you look back on your life there you know as long as you do it with balance you're not you're not going to kind of go I'm so glad I sit in a calorie deficit for you know yeah the last 10 years I I always I use this question a lot with uh when I'm transitioning someone away from tracking or even for clients that are just having odd days where they don't track I love the question would making a more nutritious or calorie conscious choice here take away from the experience? If the answer to that is no, apply some gentle nutrition principles to that, you know, yeah. have your protein, choose the salad, have just one scoop of ice cream, whatever, whatever the end outcome of that is. If the answer is yes, it would take away, you know, from the experience. And I don't just mean a little bit, like, you know, it would take away from it, like not having a slice of cake on your birthday. Fripping half your cake because you can't get the experience all the time back. But honestly, Claire, it makes me so happy to hear you say that, to go from the person that was, you know, scared of, not scared of carbs, but queen of keto. I probably was, I mean, how do I, my mum is the best baker in the world. And I deprived myself of cake for like two years and that's no way to live. Yeah, yeah. It makes me so happy now to see you like thriving and finding that balance and especially through what is quite a challenging phase of life as well. But yeah. on that note, we need to wrap this one up. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat thank you. today. Um, and thank you everybody for taking the time to listen to this one. And I will catch you all in the next episode.